It's half past eight exactly, Mr. Dillon. I better get it out of the safe now. right this is going to be the old time radio grab bag number five this is where we take a show or shows that uh, we would not normally play in our rotation they don't quite fit in and without doing much to them sometimes I clean up the sound a little bit but I don't really edit out commercials for the most part and in a couple of these cases tonight I haven't even listened to these so we're going to be listening to these together. Hi, this is Bob Bro. Welcome to the Best Old Time Radio Podcast. And every other week or so, we do the Old Time Radio Grab Bag. So what we have is three shows tonight. One is a half an hour presentation of Lights Out. One is a hour and a half presentation of The Big Show. And then we're going to follow things up with a episode of The Green Hornet. So I hope you enjoy them, and uh, let me know. Here they come. Starting things off with an episode of Lights Out, originally broadcast July 16, 1947, and this one is featuring Boris Karloff. Hideous things come out of the darkness to prowl the tortured earth. Evil hands stretch forth to seize. Evil eyes are watching. Unholy voices whisper and quarrel in the fearful silence. Death stalks. Loathsome, horrible death. Dare you put out your lights and listen to Boris Karloff in the story of horror in the deepening darkness? 
dare you listen to? Lights out. I'm glad you brought up the question of ethics, Ed. Sometimes I think science is too ethical. Stands in the way of research. Mm, I don't know, David. Take your work, for example. It's wonderful, but you have to be very cautious. I think working with monkeys is about as far as you should go right now. Oh, but, Ed, David is past that stage. Why not show Ed the one you worked on today, darling? If you'd like to see it, Ed, it's right in the lab. Yes, I would. I saw it last night after you injected the poison. Uh, I'll get it, David. Thank you, dear. It's in the second cage. Mm, Ruth's a wonderful girl, David. Must be a big help to you in your work. Don't know what I'd do without her. But if she ever gets too interested in pure science, <laughs> I'm, going to, I'm, I'm, going, I'm going to lock her out of the lab and just make her go back to being a wife. <laughs> How do you find time for a wife? Now, look here. All you practicing surgeons think the research man is a machine. Not me, Ed. Ruth means more to me than all the discoveries I might make. Her happiness is all I live and work for. Well, I can't say that I blame you. She's a very charming person. Ah, here he is. Same one you saw last night, Ed. Stone dead. And there he is, just as healthy and alive as any other monkey. Why, it's amazing, David. Naturally, I've followed all the experiments along this line, but you seem to have progressed much farther. David can't go any farther with animals. He's ready for the next step. And he can do it. Well, I'm all for research, David. But you have a moral obligation in this sort of thing. How do you know it'll work with human beings? Oh, you're a surgeon yourself, Ed. You know that human beings are animals just like all the subjects I've used. I know it'll work. Well, knowing it won't get you far with society. You'll have to submit proof. I know that. And I've tried every way I can think of to get a human being to demonstrate on. He's tried insane asylums, penitentiaries, everywhere. No one will listen to me. Well, in a way, you can't blame them. Even to me, with my training, the idea seems, well, blasphemous. My dear Ed, you can't stop scientific progress because of a so-called moral concept. Besides, what could be less blasphemous than a triumph over death? <laughs> I'm sorry, but I can't see it that way. I wouldn't want to try it on me. When I'm dead, I want to stay dead. Oh, that's foolish, Ed. Well, if I die first, I want David to use me for a subject. Ruth. Don't look so startled, Ed. She's always been my strongest supporter. But I'm not going to use her as a subject. I like her too well as a wife. <laughs> Still, it gives me the shivers to hear you talk that way, Ruth. Why? I've seen David's work grow to where the technique is perfect. Before long, his experiments will be recognized by the whole medical world. And if I can help him achieve that goal, I'm willing to do anything. Living or dead. I mean it. She wanted to do it, Ed, living or dead. David, you're surely not going to hold her to that. Not now. Of course I am. She meant it. But I called you over here tonight, Ed, because I need help. Don't tell me that. But I want you to help me bring Ruth's... to bring her here. 
That's exactly what I mean. David, will you help me? Or must I bribe some stranger? David, why don't you give this thing up? It's, it's inhuman. Ed, if I succeed, I'll have Ruth back. Don't you see how much it means? Well, yes, if you're successful. Oh, I've no doubt about that. Look, I've got my laboratory record. 714 times I've performed the experiment on guinea pigs, rabbits, monkeys. 714 times it's been successful. Don't you see? But, David, this is no laboratory experiment. Ruth was your wife. She is my wife. The only woman I ever loved. That's why I want to bring her back here and start her breathing and living again. There's an ugly name for what you're asking me to do, David. I know. Grave robbery. But there's a better name for it, Ed. Death robbery. We'll rob old man death. Kick the door shut. Uh, on the operating table. I must say you are completely equipped. It's surgery, just as well as a lab. Everything we need is here. There. Well, it's done. Not yet. You mean you want me to stay? Ed, listen. Ever since Ruth... Well, I guess I've leaned on you for everything. I won't ask you to stay, but I do need you. Just a little longer. All right, David. I'll stay. Ruth will be the first to thank you when we succeed. David, I'll always doubt this until I see Ruth living, breathing, smiling again. It won't be long. Just a matter of 15 or 20 minutes. If nothing happens. What will you do if your operation doesn't work? Then you'll have just one more job to do as my friend. And that? will be to bury both of us. Oh, now, look, David. If Ruth isn't alive again within a few minutes, I'll have lost her forever. And I'll have proved that my whole life's work is useless. I'll have reason enough to use any of a dozen tricks that any good surgeon knows. End the whole business. Oh, but don't look so horrified, Ed. We won't fail. Let's begin. I should remind you once more, David, that you're usurping powers that belong to... God Almighty. I like to think that Providence has wisely held back the knowledge of things like this until we knew how to use them, and I know how. Hand me that large beaker. All right. I'm not going to back out on you, David. What shall I do? Do. You'll work as you haven't worked in surgery before. Thank heavens I've got your skill on my side. Now then, first strap this bigger manometer on her arm. I just happened to think of something. Keep moving. This is all a matter of timing. Yeah, but, David... Here are your instruments. And I want the incision right here where I'm shaving the hair. Make a small incision just at the fontanelle while I prepare the solution. David, have you considered... Please work fast. But, Dave, what? She was embalmed, you know. Of course I know that. I have something to replace the blood and, and to counteract the fluid. It's ghastly. Finish the cut. I know what I'm doing. Well, that's all for the incision, but after all... That'll work nice. Now cut away the dura mater. Entirely? Leave the brain exposed? Yes, yes, I'll fix that. I've done it 700-odd times. Well, this is no guinea pig or monkey. Well, I hardly need reminding. Sorry. What's that? A compound I've synthesized myself. What is it? I call it digamma paradiamine. 
Oh, I know that isn't chemically correct. But it's as close as I can get to it. I knew that something like it must exist. It took three years to track it down. It took me that long to make the first drop of it. Well, you know what you're doing, all right? Yes, I do. Now then, if you're finished, take the leads from that storage battery there and attach the positive to the silver plate on the shelf. Put that at her feet. I feel as if I were doing something unholy. Place the tip of the negative in the incision you made in the skull. Be sure the tip of the wire actually... actually penetrates the pyamata. David, what if you bring her back? I will bring her back. But what if you bring her back and find she comes back without her soul? What? Her soul? Yes. You're a surgeon... And you believe in a soul? Well, I hesitate to say there is no such thing. You've seen a good many deaths, haven't you? Have you ever seen any evidence that the soul escapes at death? Perhaps I couldn't recognize the evidence. Let's put it this way, then. If there is any soul, it either leaves the body or stays with it at death. Now, no reputable surgeon or physician has ever been able to report the slightest evidence of the soul's having left the body. So the soul, if there is a soul, must stay with the body, a part of it. I'm ready now. If you've finished. Everything's set. Good. Close that switch then at the battery. Watch the meter and keep the current between plus and minus five of 150. There's a rheostat on the edge of the table. All right? All right. Now, I'm going to inject 10 cc's of adrenaline in the brachial artery. Adrenaline? Adrenaline and something else. There. God, she's beautiful, Ed. Yes. She was. She is. You'll see her in a few minutes, just as she was. I wonder what you'll have to tell us. Nothing. Death is only a transcendental sleep. Do you really believe that, dear? Oh, well, what's the difference? How's the current? Well, let's see. What? Let's jump to 180. Good. Bring it back to 150. That's the result of the injection. On a dead body? Let's say suspended animation. There are still a few things in surgery you don't know, aren't there? I never dreamed of a reaction like that. I'll show you more. Help me swing this lamp over here. But... Let the ammeter go. It'll hold steady for a minute now. But it might jump again. No, it won't. I've been all through this before. The reactions are exactly the same as the others. And this lamp? X-rays? No, it's a modification of the cathode ray. And just another of my developments. I call these... Are theta rays. Why do you call them that? Well, most rays are named for the first few letters in the Greek alphabet. Alpha, beta, gamma, and so on. Well, one explains theta. Didn't you say ah, theta? Yes. But theta was called the letter of death by the ancient Greeks. Well, that's right. It was the first letter in the word thanatos. Death. Yeah, I see. A theta without death. <laughs> Maybe I was too sentimental. Maybe. At least human for once. Let's not argue. Here goes the ray. Now, quickly, the solution. Inject it? No, pump it. I built this pump especially for it. There's the pump switch, Ed. Here? Yeah. Turn it on and watch the ammeter. Okay. It's jumping. How far? 155. Let it go. 160. 170. Hold it there. It'll stay there now. Listen carefully. 
Yes. As soon as I turn off the pump, I want Spigma readings. But there won't be any blood pressure. Wait and see. Give me a reading each time I ask for it and take them carefully. Are you ready? This is fantastic. I'm ready. Okay. Reading. Systolic zero. Diastolic zero. That's all right. It'll take a few seconds. Now. Forty. My God. Diastolic. Hurry. Zero. My orbit valve is still open. I'll turn off the ray. Reading. Forty-eight. Over forty-two. David. Not yet. Now the stopwatch. Seven seconds after I say go, I want the systolic. Now you have it? Right. Ready. Now... Go. Sixty. Go. Just what it should be. Lord. Look at my hand. I don't wonder. Ruth, darling, just a few more minutes. All right, Ed. Now the ray again. We'll know the answer very soon. How long do you use the ray this time, David? Not long. Give me a reading. 68. Over 67. Now. 70. Diastolic. 68. Now. David. 118. 76. Close. Now. 120. That's it. 80. The stethoscope. Quick. Here. Listen. As I can tell, respiration's normal, pulse just a tiny bit fast, and the reflex is slow, but apparently all right. David, I... I feel I must apologize to you. Apologize? Why? Well, for doubting you, I suppose. <laughs> You'll learn to believe me. Very calm in the face of all this. Do you realize that you've performed a miracle? A miracle? I brought my wife back to me, as I promised her. It's, it's an unholy thing, but... But we've conquered death. Is that unholy? We have conquered death. May God forgive us. She'll only wait now. How long has she been asleep? Let me see. Eleven hours. Hasn't spoken at all? Not since that first scream, when she fell asleep. Have you given her anything? Just a few drops of brandy. Have you tried to wake her? No, but I think I'll try now. Oh, wait a minute before you do. Why? 
Well, I hate to keep harping on this business about a soul, David. I realize this is no place for a philosophic discussion. But I can't help wondering why Ruth screamed when she first came back to life. Well, I think there's a logical explanation. After all, it must have been a physical shock. Well, that's true. It must also be true that there was a great mental shock involved. I think that's why she screamed, and I'm wondering whether there's been a permanent effect on her mind. Known as I prefer to think of it, her soul. Oh, you're simply borrowing trouble, Ed. I've never seen any sign of permanent damage in my other experiments. Don't forget that Ruth was a human being. Well, there's only one way to find out. I'm going to wake her. You're, you're not afraid? Afraid? Of what? Ruth? Ruth? Wake up, darling. Ruth, dear, it's David speaking. Wake up, dearest. Ruth. Ruth. Look out. There, darling. No wonder it scared a poor girl. Ruth, it's, it's David, dear. I kept my promise and you're alive again. Oh, you're all right, honey. It's David, you're... David, what's the matter? God is her mind. No, David. Her soul. David. You'd better go out for a little exercise now. I'll stay here with her. I'll stay while you go out and walk around a bit. You've been there with her since 8 o'clock last night without any let-up. Go on, I'll stay. Ed. I know, old boy. I'd give anything myself if we could undo what we've done, but... Ed, what could I do? Well, there may be something. Let's try an experiment when she wakes up again. What kind of an experiment? Well, let's see if we can talk to her, get her to say anything. If we can get a flicker of intelligence, maybe we can teach her, build up from a small fragment. Maybe it might work. I'm going to wake her up and try it. But not now. Why don't you take a walk? Relax a little. And get something to eat while you're out. Eat? I can't eat. I'm going to wake her. Ruth. Ruth. David. Why not let her sleep? She's waking up now. Ruth. Hello, Ruth. Are you waking up? Poor child. Poor child. There. She repeats after me. A little. Maybe it will work, Ed. Ruth. Ruth! David. David! It works. Seems to. Ruth, say I want a glass of water. Seems to. <laughs> I want a glass of water. Water. It's too long for a... Ruth. Say, Ruth. Ruth. Loves. Loves. David. David. Loves David. Ruth loves David. Ruth loves David. Ruth loves David. Ruth loves David. It's working, Ed. Maybe. But what is she thinking? I don't know. No, no. Ruth, stop it. Stop it. Wait a minute, old man. Ruth loves David. Too much for you, tired as you are. Go on, I'll take a little walk and I'll work with it for a while. Stop. Your nerves won't take much of this. I guess you're right, Ed. I can't think anymore. Ruth loves I'll be right there. Fine, fine. Uh I'll take good care of her and see what I can find out. Be patient. Don't worry. I will. And you get something to eat while you're out. All right, I'll try. Poor 
guy. This is really rough on him. Rough on him. <laughs> Ruth. Ruth. We're kidding ourselves. There's nothing there. She's a parrot. Parrot. <laughs> oh, never mind, Ruth. Ruth, put down that scalpel. Scalpel. <laughs> You'll hurt yourself. Ruth, stay away. You will put it down. Think of David. David. <laughs> oh! God's sake, what happened? Ruth. Scalpel. I'll get something and fix you right up. Wait. No use. Now look. Dr. Artery. No hope. Ed. All right, Doctor. Your diagnosis is correct. A minute or two left. Ruth hiding. Watch out. No, no soul. She'll kill you, too. What have I done, Ed? Everything I've done is wrong. Oh, wonderful technique, Doctor. Congratulations. What about soul? Ed. Ed. Ruth. She's somewhere in the house. What if she gets out and a scalpel in her hands? There's been enough damage. Ruth! Ruth! Basement. I'd better take a gun. busy in the lab. No. No, there's nothing new. Just an experiment. No. Like so many experiments, it, it just didn't work out.
Ever Sharp Shake has just presented Boris Karloff in the first of the new series of mystery and terror stories, Lights Out. Next week, Lights Out will bring you a story about the undead, the vampires who are doomed to wander alone through all eternity, seeking the blood of innocent ones. Be sure to listen next Wednesday night at the same time. Lights Out is produced and directed by Bill Lawrence. The script is by Paul Pierce and Willis Cooper. This is Ken Niles speaking for Eversharp, manufacturers of Eversharp chicken injector razors and blades and famous Eversharp precision writing instruments. For birthdays, weddings, anniversaries, and business gifts, remember the best gift of all is an Eversharp CA pen. Buy yours tomorrow during the sensational Eversharp CA pen sale. Buy now and save as much as 60%. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company. That was Lights Out, featuring Boris Karloff. It was originally broadcast July 16th, 1947. Now we're going to have a presentation of The Big Show. It was first heard on December the 3rd, 1950. Tallulah Bankhead, of course, was the host, and this one featured Fred Allen and Phil Silvers. You're about to be entertained by some of the biggest names in show business. For the next hour and 30 minutes... This program will present in person such bright stars as... Fred Allen. Mindy Carson. Joan Davis. Douglas Fairbanks. Phil Silvers. The Sons of the Pioneers. Margaret Truman. Meredith Wilson. And my name, darlings, is Tallulah Bankhead. The National Broadcasting Company presents The Big Show. So listen, America, the curtains of America. We're going to be a parlor The Big Show. 90 minutes with the most scintillating personalities in the entertainment world. Brought to you this Sunday and every Sunday at the same time as the Sunday feature of NBC's All-Star Festival. And here is your hostess, the glamorous, unpredictable, Tallulah Bankhead. Well, darlings, we've been doing the big show now for a month of Sundays, but today... With Miss Margaret Truman on the program, there's a special feeling of excitement backstage. And I suppose you all are wondering how we were able to get such a prominent personage as Miss Truman to be guest on our program. Well, really, all it took was a telephone call. I called a certain party, and that party called another party, who in turn called another party. Uh, Naturally, these were all democratic parties. Of course, some of the other performers who have never met Miss Truman are a little nervous about it. Well, not me. I'm not nervous. Joan Davis. 
You, you say you're not nervous, Joan, about meeting Margaret Truman? Well, why be? I should. <laughs> What's there to be nervous? About? In fact, I'm meeting forward to looking her. <laughs> oh, you're in great shape, darling. In fact, you're fabulous. <laughs> fabulous? Well, you're not built so hot yourself. <laughs> Uh, 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 look, Miss Bankhead, if you're really nervous about meeting Miss Truman, you can just stick close to me. I I'll cover up any mistakes that you might make. You'll cover up any mistakes I make? Oh, sure. I'd just be glad to. I know how it is when you're not a celebrity and, and you meet a celebrity like Miss Truman. I'm sure you're bound to get nervous. But, but out in Hollywood, I see celebrities all the time. Mm. Yeah, why, I live right across the street from where Guy Kibbe used to live. <laughs> No. Yeah. <laughs> One of us ought to stop gargling the drain open. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I know a lot of celebrities, big names like that all around me. Darling, you know the name I have made in the theater? Yeah, and they better not let me hear them saying it. <laughs> My dear Joe. Oh, you don't have to thank me. I don't know why I beat my head against the wall talking to you. Well, maybe you're trying to get a shape you like. <laughs> Look, Joan. <laughs> we happen to have Margaret Truman on our show tonight, and I'd hope to start the show off on a high plane. Now, darling, please, would you say as little as possible to Miss Truman? Because, frankly, I look upon your stupidity with the utmost disapproval. <laughs> Well, I look upon your disapproval with the utmost of stupidity. How else, darling? Joan, we should all try to act our best and look our best today. Well, I look my best. Don't you like my gown? Oh, yes, dear. I always have. Well, I like the gown you're wearing, Tallulah. Thank you, Joan. You're pretty dressed up for a radio announcer. <laughs> Now, look here, you... Oh, I beg your pardon. <laughs> You're my guest. You're sorry I'm your guest? Yes. Oh, no, I mean... <laughs> I'm just sorry I lost my temper. I'm glad you like my gown, Joan, but uh, really, it's nothing. <laughs> Almost. <laughs> yeah, if it was any lower on top and any higher on the bottom, it'd be a belt. <laughs> and I specifically asked them to send me Joan Davis, not Betty. <laughs> With that dress you're wearing, we've practically got all about Eve. I will have you know, my pet, that this gown cost me $750, not including the tax. Oh, they should have included a few tax. At least some pins with it. Uh, now, look at my dress. It only cost $600. Yes, it's lovely, darling. Where's the government bond, darling? Government bond? Well, surely for $600, they gave you a $500 bond with that dress. Tell me, dear, uh, where is the tea that came with that bag you're wearing? <laughs> bag? This is the finest satin. Well, if you ask me, it's too shiny. My new satin gown is shiny where? Where it's sat in. <laughs> If you don't mind, darling, let's drop that topic. Yeah, well, it's your topic. You can drop it where you want it. <laughs> oh, now, Joan, darling, please, let's not stand here bickering. No, I didn't bick. 
Now, Miss Truman will be here soon. Are you sure you know how to act? Oh, sure. I read about it in an etiquette book. If I'm a man, I bow. And if I'm a woman, I courtesy. Are you having difficulty making up your mind, darling? <laughs> no, it's not so hard. I only get my choice of two. Uh, I, I don't think, though, that I better bow in this dress. Uh, so I'll just courtesy. I, I'd show you what I mean, but I only got one good courtesy left in me, and, and I'm sort of saving that for Miss Truman. <laughs> I can get down once, but I may never get up again. <laughs> I may have to do the rest of the whole show from a kneeling position. <laughs> oh, Joe, darling, you don't have to curtsy. Margaret Truman is just like any other normal American girl whose father is president. <laughs> yep, I, I just can't get over it. She must be brilliant. Think of it. She's only in her 20s, and already she's the daughter of the president. <laughs> oh, that reminds me. I must make sure Meredith Wilson has the music ready for her. Oh, Meredith, darling. Yes, Miss Bankhead. Meredith. <laughs> darling, is your officer all ready for the president's daughter when she gets here? Miss Petrillo is coming here today? <laughs> I happen to be talking about Margaret Truman, and if possible, I'd like to have your orchestra on their very best behavior. Oh, they will be. I had a little trouble with the cellist, but he finally took off his landing button. <laughs> I'll have to play something. I want to make sure they're at least in tune. Have you got anything handy there, Meredith? Sure. I got a tune here called, uh, This Is It. Ladies and gentlemen, here's a bright novelty tune. Meredith Wilson and the Big Show Orchestra and Chorus in Meredith's latest song, this is it. When I was very young, I was just struck by lightning. And once I fell downstairs with a barrel of beer. I once shot a firecracker off in a grand piano. This is not to drag out to consolidate. This is it. 
That applause should tell you what a hit you've written. It was wonderful, darling. And now, ladies and gentlemen, you're in for a treat, because our next guest is Mr. Douglas Fairbanks, Jr. In these days of iron curtains, brutal tyrannies, mysterious disappearances, and sudden deaths, it is difficult for fiction to rival the terror and violence commonplace in the world today. It is a tribute to fine artistry in production, writing, and performance that a smash new film does succeed in bringing to life on the screen a hair-raising adventure that matches today's realities. We are privileged to bring you on the big show a portion of that picture. So here is its star, Mr. Douglas Fairbanks, Jr., in Columbia Pictures' fine new release, State Secret. My name is Marlowe, Dr. John Marlowe. I have a reservation on a plane to Bosnia. Oh, thank you. Dr. Marlowe, could I have a word with you? You know perfectly well that as a doctor, I can't give interviews to the press. We understand you're flying over to Bosnia this morning to receive the Kepler Medal and to demonstrate your new technique in operation. Yes, that's right. Well, what about the political angle? After all, you're an American. Your country's relations with Generalissimo Neva's government are, well, not exactly friendly. I am an American doctor living in London. I shall continue to be an American all the way. But first, I am a doctor and totally uninterested in politics. Seems to me that the Bosnian Congress of Science has made a gesture which places medicine above politics. I am just returning that gesture, that's all. Good morning, gentlemen. Attention, please. Flight 505 for Bosnia. Landing at gate 12. All aboard, please. Welcome to Bosnia, Dr. Marlowe. I am Dr. Rivo, president of the Medical Institute. Oh, how do you do? And may I present Colonel Galcon, personal representative of our Prime Minister, Generalissimo Niva. I bring you personal greetings from Generalissimo Niva. He bids you welcome and offers his sincere apologies that affairs of state make it impossible for him to welcome you himself. Uh, uh, thank you, Colonel Galcon, gentlemen. Please convey my sincerest thanks to the uh, Generalissimo, my, my deepest appreciation for the honor which Bosnia has seen fit to pay me. <laughs> you know, gentlemen, somehow I, I've got the impression that the Gen Generalissimo was here to greet me. His pictures are everywhere. <laughs> it's the first thing I saw when I got off the plane. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, yes, Dr. Marlowe. The people insist on it. Generalissimo Niva is very close to their hearts. Shall we go to the car? I've arranged that there be no customs formalities. Our itinerary is quite heavy. But naturally, we want to get to the medal presentation ceremony as quickly as possible.
now, Dr. Marlowe, it is my very great privilege as representative of our Prime Minister, Generalissimo Niva, to present to you the first American ever to receive it, the Kepler Gold Medal, in recognition of your outstanding contribution to science. Thank you, sir. Thank you. In developing a new surgical technique for treatment of a disease until now invariably fatal, we are also most grateful for your willingness to share your knowledge by demonstrating your technique to our leading specialists. Thank you, Colonel Galco. Uh, also, we felt you'd like to demonstrate your operative technique to our surgeons as soon as possible. Oh, of course, gentlemen. The, the sooner the better. Good. I've arranged for the demonstration to be at my clinic where we have an excellent new operating theater. Oh, that'll be fine. Uh, I've had the patient move there. If you're willing, I'll order the car and escort at once. By all means. I hope you won't think we are rash things, but since you insist on leaving tomorrow afternoon... I'm afraid I have no choice, Colonel Galcon. I have appointments. Uh, but you will go back to London with a horribly antiseptic impression of us. Oh. Can't I persuade you to join my party later on a tour of our more decadent nightclubs? Well, I'd like to, but <laughs> I'll need sleep tonight. It's shameful. We are exploiting you. But as we're unlikely to meet again... I'll say goodbye. Goodbye, Colonel Galcon, and thank you. Uh, the car is waiting, Dr. Marlowe. I'm ready, Dr. Rivo. Oh, I... <laughs> I can't very well walk out of here wearing this medal, can I? I'd look a little ostentatious. Besides, it, it's quite heavy. Uh, solid gold, as is the box. Is that so? Uh, but permit me. I'll place it in its case and guard it carefully until we return from the clinic. Oh, good. Now, um, about this patient... Can you tell me something of the history? I have everything here. Uh, you can go over the records in the car. Oh, very thorough. Tell me, who is the patient? Um, a middle-aged man. The name? Well, does it matter? Uh, this way, Dr. Marlowe. Have you finished uh, examining the patient, Dr. Marlowe? Uh, why, yes, I think so. Everything seems to be all right. Nothing abnormal. Here. Yes, sir, I, I think you're going to come out fine. There, there, don't, don't look so frightened. We're going to make a new man of you. <laughs> What's he saying? Why, uh, he, uh, he said, uh, thank you, thank you. Well, you can you can prepare him now. We'll operate as soon as I finish scrubbing up. Very good, Doctor. Uh, the surgeons have already assembled in the operating theater. Oh, well, you mustn't keep them waiting, eh? All right. I won't be more than a few minutes. I usually prefer a paramedian incision in these cases, gentlemen. Though I've done a few with a Koch's incision. Sponge, please. I said sponge. Thank you. If the others in the operating theater to see this, you doctors here in the operating room better stand back from the table. Please. Very well, we'll continue. It is essential that the trauma of the blood vessels be reduced to a minimum by exercising great care in their handling in view of the danger of post-operative thrombosis. I've asked you gentlemen not to crowd me. Will you kindly step back? Scalp. I said scalp. What's the matter with you people? 
What's wrong here? Uh, the patient? Pulse. Raise him slightly. Color? Uh, uh, good. Quite good, doctor. There's too much tension here. Too much fumbling. Obvious, too, that half of you standing in this operating room are not doctors at all. Take off that patient's mask. Dr. Marlowe, I beg of you... Take off that anesthetic mask. I want to see the patient's face. But please, doctor... Take your hand off my arm, Dr. Rebo. Remove that mask. This is not the man I examined before. This man what? This man is the man on the posters. This man is Generalissimo Neva. The dictator of Bosnia. Continue the operation, Dr. Marlowe? Of course. What kind of a doctor do you think I am? Scalpel. Look lively now. Clamps. I congratulate you, Dr. Marlowe. That was a magnificent job. I hope you're satisfied, Colonel Galcon. If I hadn't betrayed myself by yielding to an impulse and crowding you in the operating room, you would not have noticed me, not recognized me, not become suspicious, not discovered who your patient really was. But it is too late for that, is it not? Much too late. I expected to be treated according to elementary civilized standards of behavior. Obviously, I was mistaken. I can only beg your pardon. I'm not interested. This has been a gross abuse of confidence. I accept full responsibility. I should like a car to take me back immediately. Will the patient recover? You had better ask General Neva. His guest is as, his guest is as good as mine. How long will it be before he is out of danger? What's that got to do with it? You're going to explain this to Washington and London. Would you say ten days should tell whether or not the operation was successful? About that. Just a moment, Dr. Marlowe. I don't think you can leave just yet. Oh, yes, I'm leaving, Colonel Galkin. But you haven't heard the last of this, I can promise you. I said I don't think you can leave, Dr. Marlowe. If you try to... Oh. That's oh. better, Doctor. Just bow to the inevitable. Well, Colonel, I hear I'm to be permitted to leave at last. You heard correctly, Doctor. The ten days are up. The General seemingly has made a complete recovery. So, here is your plane reservation. Time of departure? Half an hour. My own guards will see to it that you are taken safely to the field. Thank you. Oh, not at all, Doctor. You have, of course, our humblest apologies for the unfortunate slugging, the detention, the assorted... Shall I say, abuses? You might very well say, Colonel. But one might speculate upon what would have happened if the general had died. Your little dictatorship would have fallen apart. Oh, no. The people would never be permitted to know that he was dead. What? Oh, please, don't be naive. Every contingency has been taken care of. The people would not know, and one of the generalissimo's doubles would have ruled on merrily. Incredible. 
But I would... Exactly. Could we have let you return to England? What do you mean? An unfortunate accident, shall we say? On the way to the airport or in the plane itself? You're not serious. You wouldn't have me murdered. Of course I would. What is one life against the security of a whole state? Oh, by the way, here is your medal. You forgot it. Thanks. Thanks for showing me the reverse side. <laughs> but we are only amusing ourselves with an exercise in theory. A sort of uh, chest problem, eh? But why are you letting me go now? You know very well that I'll make a full report. We shall simply deny. Come. Very well, Andre. Wait in the car. The doctor will be down presently. The doctor will go now. Wait. The plane will keep. One for the road, doctor. Why not, Colonel? Your ethics are unspeakable, but your cellar is excellent. To your very good health. May you live long to exercise your brilliant talent for the benefit of humanity. I drink to... Dr. Evo, is there something I can do for you? Generalissimo, Niva, he's dead. So, the chest problem is no longer theoretical, Dr. Marlowe. It is our move, I believe. No, it's my move, Colonel. I give you back your medal. Shoot, shoot to me! The airport, Andre, and fast. I wouldn't want to miss that plane. I'm sorry, sir. The car won't start. Douglas Fairbanks, your usual polished performance. But you're not going to leave me on edge like this. Now, what happened to the American doctor who performed the operation in Bosnia? Did he get away? That, Tallulah, is a state secret. Oh. <laughs> now, darling, you can tell me. I'll keep my big mouth shut. But it's a, su <laughs> it's a surprise ending, and I don't want to give it away. Why don't you go to your neighborhood movie and see it for yourself? I can't wait that long. <laughs> Look, it would cost me 75 cents to see the movie. I'll give you 75 cents. Tell me how to end. <laughs> Do you smoke when you go to the movies, Tallulah? Of course, darling. Why? Well, that'll be a dollar ten for the loges. <laughs> All right, I'll give you a dollar ten. There'll be a long wait for the loge seats. All right, I'll sit in the orchestra. <laughs> Did the doctor get out of Bosnia? Come on, darling. I'm burning up with curiosity. No smoking in the orchestra. Look, Junior. <laughs> you make a very good usher. But if you don't mind, I'd like to usher in six stalwart men who come from three southern countries. Really? What three countries? Texas. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, you've seen them in all the Roy Rogers pictures. They're the boys who sit around the campfire roasting. And here they are, pretty well barbecued by now, the sons of the pioneers. Water, 
I'd like to meet every one of you. What are your names, darlings? Tex is four. And you? Tex Perryman. You? Tex Fisher. And go on. Tex Curtis. And yours? Tex Farr. And finally? Tex Doss. Where do you boys hail from? Oklahoma. <laughs> well, something tells me I might as well take this time to bring my chimes. This is NBC, the National Broadcasting Company. Show. This is the National Broadcasting Company, Sunday Extravaganza, with the most scintillating personalities in show business. This portion of the program is the Sunday feature of NBC's all-star festival of comedy, music, drama, and mystery, brought to you by the makers of Anison, for fast relief from pain of headache, uranus, and neuralgia, by your local Ford dealer, who is now displaying the new 1951 Ford, the car that's built for the years ahead, by RCA Victor. World leader in radio, first in recorded music, first in television, 
and by Chesterfield, the cigarette that gives you mildness plus no unpleasant aftertaste. The big stars in this program are Fred Allen, Mindy Carson, Joan Davis, Douglas Fairbanks Jr., Phil Silvers, the Sons of the Pioneers, Margaret Truman, Meredith Wilson, and the Big Show Orchestra and Chorus. And every week, your hostess, the glamorous, unpredictable Tallulah Bankhead. Well, darlings, I know you're all waiting for the appearance of Miss Margaret Truman, and I'm about to present her. Do I look all right? I hope she notices this gown. I got it especially for this occasion, but all of a sudden it feels as if it's dropping off me. Of course, I had it designed that way. <laughs> well, I'm going to bring Miss Truman on now with a fanfare of trumpets. We have a red carpet we're going to roll out. And we have a very effective ceremony with scattered rose petals. Oh, Miss Bankhead. Why, Margaret Truman. <laughs> Miss Truman, you should have waited for a fanfare and rose petals. And we were even going to roll out a red carpet for you to stand on as part of the ceremony. Oh, you know I don't like to stand on ceremony. Oh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> darling. The first line, and already a joke. <laughs> I am the MC, remember, Miss Truman? But you do look divine, darling. What a beautiful gown. Really, you didn't have to go to all that trouble to have a gown made just for this occasion. I didn't. <laughs> well, what a coincidence. <laughs> so did I. <laughs> and I adore your gown. Thank you, Miss Bankhead. And? Uh... And what? And whose gown do you adore, Miss Truman? I don't know. You don't know? Why not? I lost my place. So early in the show, darling? <laughs> but what I've been trying to find out is, how do you like my gown? Don't you think it does something for me? I do. It's in such good taste, not too daring, and still just the slightest suggestion. I design it myself, you know. I design the clothes for all my plays, and they always cause so much comment. Uh, just as this little gown has caused. Don't you think it's sweet, Miss Truman? I do, don't you? Yes. Oh, it's so funny. <laughs> so kind of you to say so many nice things about my dress. Even if I do say so myself. And I think I did. <laughs> Thank you, Miss Truman. You're welcome, Miss Bankhead. Uh, now, how are things, Miss Truman? Uh, how's everyone at home? I'm fine. And how are the Blairs? The Blairs? <laughs> well, yes, darling. Didn't I read somewhere that you were staying with the Blairs while they're repapering your house or something? <laughs> yes, we lost our place temporarily. Again, darling, we're on page 29. Oh, your place. Oh, I see, darling. I didn't understand. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Oh, uh, well, uh, is there anyone at home listening to our program? I guess so. Oh, how sweet. <laughs> Well, uh, would you like to say hello to anyone special? May I? Oh, please do, darling. What a scoop. <laughs> Go right ahead, Miss Truman. All right. Hello, Margaret. Margaret? Who's Margaret? That's me. I'd like to hear somebody on this program call me by my first name. 
Oh, that's so sweet, darling. <laughs> and you don't have to call me Miss Bankhead, darling. Call me by my given name, will you, darling? Yes, darling. <laughs> Child's getting all the laughs. <laughs> and now, Margaret, I want you to meet some of the other members of our cast. That's Phil. Will you come here a minute, Phil Silvers? My goodness, that's the biggest round of applause I ever got. No wonder they call it the big show. Of course, the applause card they hold up here is much bigger than on any other show. Now, Phil, there's somebody here I want you to meet. Miss Truman, may I present Mr. Phil Silvers? How do you do? How do you do? I was on a show once where they held up the applause card upside down. I got the biggest round of Esselpaw you ever heard. <laughs> Phil, this is Margaret Truman. Glad to see you. Hi. Well, you get the gag? Esselpaw, applause spelled backwards. Funny. Why? All right. E-S-U, it's a pretty good job. Phil, uh, Miss Truman... Dear, Miss Truman is the daughter of the president. Yeah, we just met. Nice kid. Hi. <laughs> daughter of the president of NBC? <laughs> Look, honey, I got a wonderful idea for a radio show. I come on and I say, hello again, this is Phil Silvers. Phil, Miss Truman is from Washington. Yeah? Hey, I'm a big hit in Washington, especially in Seattle. Did you ever play any of the nightclubs in Seattle? No, I never have. What's the bit? What's the routine? What are you going to do on this show? Phil, Miss Truman was kind enough to accept our invitation to sing on this program. Oh, vocalist. Miss Truman. Oh, I should have known. Say, you're not Harry uh, James's vocalist, are you? No, I've never had the pleasure. Besides, I sing classical and semi-classical. You know, long hair. Oh, well, how do you do with that kind of stuff? Fairly well, thank you. Not too good, huh? I happen to know all about singing. You gotta sell the stuff. Let me hear you make with the pipes. How about trees? Now? Yeah, just a few bars. You know how it goes. I think that I shall never see a poem lovely as a tree, whatever that means. Okay, take it. I think that I shall never see. I think that I shall never see. No. You're not selling it, kid. <laughs> you gotta sock it over. You gotta get it across. I'll show you. I think that I shall never see. I think that I should never say. <laughs> oh, you're fighting me. You're fighting. Try it again. Listen. I think that I should never see. I think that I shall never see. Maybe your way is better. Phil. Yeah. I think that I shall never see the day you're on this program again. Well. Unless you stop bothering Miss Truman. Now, Margaret, darling, we have a happy little commercial. Now, you know what a commercial is. In radio, that's like the Marshall Plan. Would you mind reading it, Ed Hurley, darling? Every day you hear more and more about an incredibly fast way to relieve the pains of headache, neuritis, and neuralgia. It's Anacin. A-N-A-C-I-N. Now, the reason Anacin is so wonderfully fast-acting and effective is this. Anacin is like a doctor's prescription. That is... Anison contains not just one, but a combination of medically proven active ingredients in easy-to-take tablet form. Thousands of people have received envelopes containing Anison tablets from their own dentist or physician, and in this way discover the incredibly fast relief Anison brings from pains of headache, neuritis, or neuralgia. So, the next time a headache strikes, take Anison, A-N-A-C-I-N, Anison. 
in handy boxes of 12 and 30, economical family-sized bottles of 50 and 100. Ask for Anison at any drug counter. Fine things that I shall never see. Oh, Jim, dear, I love you in the springtime. I want you to meet somebody else. Uh, Miss Truman, uh, this is Miss Joan Davis. How do you do? Well, how do you do, Your Honor? Joan, get up off the floor. Get up and say hello to Margaret Truman. Can't you send her down here? Ladies and gentlemen, while Miss Davis is wallowing on the floor, Meredith Wilson and the big show orchestra and chorus will bring us an unusual arrangement of a tune imported from France and being played for the first time in this country. It is entitled Les Violins S'Amuse, which means the violins amuse themselves or have fun, whatever. Margaret, you must admit we have a splendid orchestra and chorus on this program. You certainly have. Oh, before you sing your song, darling, I- I- I'd like you to meet Meredith Wilson. But right now, I want you to meet uh, oh, Fred, another brilliant star of the big show, Fred Allen. <laughs> Miss Truman, 
May I present Mr. Allen? How do you do, Mr. Allen? Well, how do you do? It's certainly a pleasure, but please don't call me Mr. Allen. Call me by my given name. All right, darling. <laughs> this girl has the makings of a Milton Berle. <laughs> Fred, I've been an admirer of your radio program for a long time. Well, thank you, but where were you when my option came up back there in 1948? In 1948, we were busy with an option problem ourselves. Yes, but that option was renewed for another four years. You were lucky you didn't have a quiz show running against you. And uh, by the way, Miss Truman, I'm surprised you don't have a radio program of your own. Oh, I can't do anything well enough to have my own program. Oh, in radio, that's no handicap. <laughs> Hey, if you'd like, I'd be very happy to help you. You see, I feel I owe you a great debt. You owe me a great debt, Fred? How's that? Well, I made an awful lot of money betting on the last election. I, uh... <laughs> I bet on Dewey. Just a minute. You won money betting on Dewey? I, uh, bet him to place. <laughs> I've missed you on radio, Mr. Allen, and I think you should have a program of your own. Well, now, look, Margaret, if you want to talk to somebody about having a little law passed... Oh, I don't have any influence at all. The Senate, maybe? No, Fred. The uh, House? No. Supreme Court? I'm sorry. Maybe a little night court somewhere outside of Nutley, New Jersey. <laughs> Over there, <laughs> oh, Fred, you can get a radio program without any pull. Oh, that was my trouble. I had a radio program without any pull. <laughs> but getting back to you, Margaret, you'd, you'd be re really be wonderful in radio. But what would I do? All I can do is sing. I can't tell any jokes to make the people laugh. Eh, don't worry about the people laughing. Look, if the joke doesn't go over, you just wear a hat that lights up. Neat. Neon millinery, you know, with a little battery inside. Oh, I couldn't use a battery, Fred. Oh, that's right. You have no connections. I forgot. <laughs> Say, um, this might be an idea, Margaret. Now, how about doing a big variety show about an hour and a half program and get the biggest names in show business? Why, you could be the mistress of ceremonies. Just a moment. That's my program. <laughs> I don't mind standing here without any lines. But I simply refuse to stand here without a program. <laughs> oh, don't worry, Tallulah. I wouldn't dream of doing a program like that. And why not, darling? <laughs> well, I don't think I'm old enough. What? <laughs> I mean, I'm not experienced enough. Well, look, with no experience, then, Margaret, you ought to be in television. <laughs> This is a haven for people who have no sets, you know. <laughs> we all get together. But tell me, do you watch much television at home, do you? Uh, oh, we don't have television in Washington. Why not? D.C. These are the jokes, folks. I know there are people out there. I can hear them breathing. Now, oh, say... Don't tell me that you won't be good on radio, Margaret Truman. You just give me a minute to think. I'll come up with an idea for a program for you. Just a minute. Maybe you can get an idea from a couple of my good friends. Here they are, Bing Crosby and Bob Hope. Say, Bob, incidentally, now that you're with Chesterfield, mm -hmm. suggestion, please. Yeah, why don't you try and conduct yourself with a little, little savoir-faire, a little 
Je ne sais quoi. Joie de vivre. Look, Vienne Rose. <laughs> Don't try to dazzle me with that stale French of yours. I could dazzle you with English, Bob. Dazzle be enough out of you. Tup, tup. <laughs> Seriously, friends, Skin Flint and I, we do agree 100% on this. Chesterfields are milder. And they leave no unpleasant aftertaste. So always buy our cigarette, Chesterfield. The best cigarette for you to smoke. Chesterfield, Chesterfield, always wins first place. That milder, mild tobacco never leaves an aftertaste. So open a pack, give them a smell. Then you'll smoke them. Don't forget to give Crosby for Christmas. I mean the Chesterfield Christmas carton with Bing as Papa Santa Claus. Ladies and gentlemen... Say, pardon me, just a second, Tulu. Uh, Say, I think I have it, Margaret. A great idea for a program. Now, the first thing you need, of course, is, uh, is a singer. I beg your pardon. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean it that way. I mean a popular singer. I beg your pardon. No, no, I mean an unpopular singer. No, no, I, I... No, what I really mean is a singer like Mindy Carson. Mindy, will you step over here, please? Mandy, darling, I want you to meet someone. Miss Truman, this oh, is... Just, just a minute, Tulu. Let me introduce her. You know, with two singers on the program, you're bound to have trouble. Let me handle this. Mindy, I want you to meet Margaret Truman, Miss Seattle of 1949. Here. How do you do, Mindy? It's a pleasure. Now, don't fight, girls. Oh, hello, Miss Truman. I'm pleased to meet you. Now, Mindy, is that a nice thing to say? Mindy, I have all your records, and I just love them. Oh, relax, Miss Truman. So what if she is a singer? And I've gone to every one of your concerts, Miss Truman. I just love your voice. She's just kidding, Miss Truman. She doesn't mean it. Miss Truman, I've been looking looking forward to meeting you for a long time. (laughs) Oh, girls, you both said the same thing together. Make a wish. You must lock your little fingers and make a wish. Come on, girls. That's it. There they go. They got a hammerlock on her. (laughs) Quiet, Phil. They're making a wish. Why don't you go away? There. I've made mine. Me too. Now, 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 you mustn't tell what the wish is. It won't come true. Mindy, I'd love to hear you sing a song. Would you do that for me? Oh, see, my wish came true. I just made a wish that you'd ask me that. Certainly, I'd love to sing for you. My song is The Touch of Your Lips. That's the song I just wished you'd sing. Well, if nobody's going to pay any attention to me, I'll be going. Good. I wasn't even wishing it. My wish came true. Well. <laughs> Same thing, darling. Your 
Ladies and gentlemen, America's newest car, the fine new Ford for 1951, is now on display at your neighborhood Ford dealers. And when you see it, you'll find that inside and out, in every detail of design and construction, the 1951 Ford reflects true, fine car quality. And in addition, it offers 43 look-ahead features designed to keep the 51 Ford young in appearance and young in performance. For example, there's Ford's smart luxury lounge interiors with their exclusive color-harmonized Ford Craft fabrics. There's the new automatic ride control that automatically adjusts spring reaction to the type of road to give you a level ride, an easy ride. And there's the automatic mileage maker that lets you get the last mile out of every gallon of gasoline for utmost economy. Visit your Ford dealer soon and see the 1951 Ford yourself. You'll agree, you can pay more, but you can't buy better. Well, Fred, have you thought of an idea for a program for Miss Truman yet? Uh, yes, Tulu, I have a, a great idea, and I, I could try it out on this program, but I'll need an awful lot of actors. Oh, that's easy, darling. I'm sure everyone on the show will be glad to help. Oh, here's Doug Fairbanks. Doug, will you help us out? I'd be glad to. Oh, Doug, darling, I want you to meet someone. Miss Truman, may I present Mr. Douglas Fairbanks, Jr.? How do you do? How do you do, Miss Truman? This, this is a great pleasure. I've been following your career with great interest. Thank you. Tell me, how does it feel to be the daughter of a great man? How does it feel to be the son of a great man? <laughs> Very well put, darling. 
Now we'll get the rest of the cast. Joan, Joan Davis, don't you think it's time you got up off that floor, darling? <laughs> well, I'll get up if somebody will give me a hand. All right, folks, how about a big hand for this little girl on the floor? Well, please. We're trying to work out an idea for a program for Miss Margaret Truman. Oh, oh, you got a plot going. I didn't know that. Cute. Very cute. I like a plot. It's good. What's the plot? Hmm? plot. Well, I, Fred has an idea for a program to star Margaret Truman, and we need everybody's help. Mindy, you'll help out, won't you? Oh, sure. What do I have to do? Well, Fred's going to tell us all about that in just a minute. But first, of course, I'll start the program off by ringing my chimes like this. This is NBC, the National Broadcasting Company. This is The Big Show. And Fred Allen is about to unveil an idea for a program starring Margaret Truman. Well, Ed, programs aren't wearing veils this year. This is rather a barefaced idea. But I think Miss Truman should be presented on a discussion program where she meets many dignitaries and discusses world's problems. How does that strike you, Margaret? Well, I don't know. Oh, I'm darling, a... it'll be just the thing for you. Yes. A hostess on a discussion program, oh, and I'll be right here at your side to show you what to do. Uh, well, Fred, how do we begin? Well, it would help a lot to Lou if we could begin with a sponsor. Oh, yes, Margaret, you I'll must have a sponsor. <laughs> they give you free samples, you know. Uh, try to get an automobile sponsor. <laughs> I once had an automobile sponsor. I got more transmission belts. <laughs> and they look well on you, too. <laughs> Down, girl. Say, I have just such a sponsor in mind, girls. The, uh, the Banking Institutions of America. Now, the program, as I see it, will start off with a theme song. Meredith, how about some banking music? Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Margaret Truman Program, brought to you by the Banking Institutions of America. Friends, visit your friendly neighborhood bank. Browse around. Get acquainted with money. When you're in Washington, D.C., visit our factory where money is made. Ask for a sample. Taste it. Bite into a crisp new dollar bill. Notice that fresh mint flavor. It's rich. It's green. It's tender. It's legal tender. And now we present the star of our show, Miss Margaret Truman. Hello again. This is Margaret Truman. Thank you, Miss Truman. And now back to our sponsor. <laughs> Men, banks offer opportunities for rapid advancement. Mr. Phil S. of No Trump, Idaho, has this to say. I started working at a bank six months ago. I didn't know a thing about banking. Now I'm first vice president. And when my father absconds, I'll be president of the bank. <laughs> Banking institutions of America have a vault to suit your every need. Mr. Douglas F. of Silly Putty, North Dakota, writes, I've been married ten years, and for ten years, my wife and I each saved money in a vault. And every year on our wedding anniversary, we buy each other a gift out of the money we've saved. We call them our anniversary vaults. <laughs> American, American banks... American banks are friendly banks. Come in, even if it's only to buy a postage stamp. 
Miss Joan D. of New York City says... Girls, I buy all my stamps at the bank. They have the stamp with the friendly mucilage that's kind to your tongue. Uh, stamps come in six delicious flavors, strawberry, cherry, raspberry, orange, lemon, and air mail. <laughs> Attention, housewives. Don't experiment making your own money. Use genuine United States money. It will save you time, possibly 20 years to life. <laughs> hey, Miss T, uh, Miss T Bankhead, part-time debutante of Montgomery, Alabama. <laughs> Bankhead has this to say. I have been using money for now on to 20 years. <laughs> and I found that United States money is the ripest and greenest and richest in the world. I always look for the picture of George Washington on the label. Except when I buy the large economy size with the picture of Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> Miss Bankhead has this to say. I have been using money for now on to 20 years. <laughs> and I've found that United States money is the ripest and greenest and richest in the world. I always look for the picture of George Washington on the label. Except when I buy the large economy size with the picture of Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> Now, ladies and gentlemen, here is the star of our program, Miss Margaret Truman. Hello again. This is Margaret Truman. Thank you, Miss Truman. And now back to the commercial. <laughs> and for this show, I gave up the Army-Navy game. <laughs> now, you wait a minute, Fred. You can't treat Margaret like that. Well, but the commercial's to Lula. Besides, I don't think the banks are a good sponsor. No? If it's going to be a discussion program, she should have an educational sponsor. Well, all right. I'll tell you what. We'll get the Board of Education to sponsor it. Would that be all right with you, Margaret? Well, anything is all right, as long as I get to say something besides hello again. Oh, ad-libbing already, hey? <laughs> well, now, she's right, Fred, and I, I think to start her program off, she should sing a song. How about it, Margaret? I'll be glad to. Well, do it now, darling. What are you going to sing, darling? I'd like to sing Dr. Frank Black's arrangement of David Popper's Gavotte. Whenever you're ready, Mr. Wilson. Oh, <laughs> 
Here's a word from RCA Victor. This year, on the night before Christmas, most American children and most American grown-ups, too, will nestle snug in their beds while visions of television sets dance in their heads. Who could help dreaming of such a sugar plum? One that sweetens your life in your choice of delicious flavors no fewer than 365 days every year. If you're the man behind Santa Claus at your house... Don't decide you can't afford a television set this Christmas until you see the 18 beautiful new RCA Victor television models at your RCA Victor dealers. Divide their price tags by 365 and discover how amazingly little your daily entertainment costs per day. You'll find that most RCA Victor sets, even fabulous 16-inch consoles, cost less than $1 a day for one year. Of course, all the years afterwards are pure gravy. Study those RCA Victor values tomorrow, and I think it's safe to say to you and all your family this very Christmas, happy looking, everyone. Margaret, darling, that song you sang a moment ago was as delightful and gracious as you are. Bless Thank you. Thank you, Hey, Miss Truman, I don't know you sang like that. Say, you got a nice set of pipes. Look, I'm playing at the Copacabana now, and I can put in a good word for you. Phil, no. What's the matter with the copper all of a sudden? It's a good job. It's true, and I can get you the same deal I got. I get 50% of all the glazed fruit sold in the place. Glazed fruit? Yeah, I got a smart manager. They wanted to give me 50% of all the money from the liquor sales. Now with my manager, boy, glazed fruits. Pardon me, Mr. Silver. Will you yield? Go away, Paige. You're ruining my filibuster. But the gentleman from the Copacabana, you must yield. I am ready to start with Miss Truman's discussion program, sponsored by the Board of Education. Oh, please do, Fred. This will be a great chance for you, Margaret. I don't know if I'll be able to handle a discussion program. Oh, it's easy, darling. I'll show you. You just watch me and do whatever I do. You can do that, can't you, dear? Well, if it was good enough for Betty Davis, it's good enough for me. (laughs) Isn't she sweet? Go on, Fred, on with the program. Well, after Margaret finishes her song, we have a commercial, something like this. This program is brought to you each week by the Board of Education and by the thousands of wonderful school teachers barely living in your community. (laughs) Friends, a little knowledge is a dangerous thing. Come to school. Get a little knowledge. Live dangerously. (laughs) The schools of America are training grounds for the future. 
If you want to train for a military career, go to West Point. If you want to train for a naval career, go to Annapolis. If you want to train for a scientific career, go to Carnegie Tech. If you want to train for Chicago, go to Grand Central Station. And now back to our dis... And now back to our discussion program and Miss Margaret Truman. Good evening, everyone. Uh, No, 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 darling. This is an afternoon show. Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, No, 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 darling. Not everyone. It's good afternoon, darlings. I'll show you. This is... This is murder, isn't it? Now, listen to this. Uh, Here's where you do it, darling. Welcome to our discussion program. And we have many dignitaries with us this afternoon who wish to discuss their problem on this open forum. You see, darling, it's very easy. Thank you, Tallulah. Good afternoon, darlings. Uh, No, no, darling, you don't have to do that. I've already done it. (laughs) I should have made a deal for the glazed fruit. (laughs) Now you should talk to the first dignitary whose problem you're going to discuss. Our first dignitary... No, that's not quite right, darling. I'll show you. I'm from Missouri, but you don't have to show me that much. (laughs) Isn't she sweet? (laughs) You see, darling, you must tell the people that this is an open forum discussion and anyone can say whatever he wants. Yes, anyone but me. Oh, darling, that's a very funny joke. (laughs) Well, I I think... Pardon me, but I really think Miss Truman is right. You ought to start the program off with a good joke. No, Joan, this is a program in which we discuss problems. Well, I got a problem with this joke. You see, I've been telling this joke for a long time, and everybody's been taking it from me and telling it in different ways. And I want to know how I can stop them. Well, that's a legitimate problem. Tell your joke, Joan. Well, it's a story of a man who went into a grocery store and said, how much are your tomatoes? And he said, 30 cents a pound. And the man said, the grocer across the street only charges 20 cents a pound. And the grocer said, well, why don't you go across the street and buy them for 20 cents? And the man said, they're all out of tomatoes across the street. And the grocer said, if I was out of tomatoes, I'd only charge 20 cents also. (laughs) Boy, have I got a problem, huh? Well, thanks. You've been a swell bunch of seats. If that's your problem, darling, you have no problem. Anybody who takes that joke deserves it. Well, hi-ho, it's time for another commercial. Friends, send your children to the schools of America. Remember, there is an American flag over every schoolhouse. No other country can make that statement. (laughs) And remember, in American schools, the janitors, the groundkeepers, and the plumbers all agree that they are the highest paid in the world. No school teacher can make that statement. Parents, parents, does your child say, I ain't got? Well, get her some. (laughs) And now back to our program and Miss Truman. Oh, thank you, darling. And now... Excuse me, Tallulah. I think he said Miss Truman. Oh, uh, yes, so he did, didn't he? (laughs) Well, uh, all you have to say, darling, is that our next guest is Mr. Douglas Fairbanks, Jr., ambassador from Bosnia, who has come to America with a special problem concerning his country. Hello, Mr. Fairbanks. You are the ambassador from Bosnia? Well, not exactly. You see, when Bosnia is divided into two parts, Upper Bosnia and Lower Bosnia... I am from Lower Bosnia. And where exactly is Lower Bosnia? Just underneath Upper Bosnia. 
That's a neat arrangement. And what is your mission here, Ambassador? Well, you see, we are an impoverished country. We need money, but we have a problem. We are too small for the Marshall Plan and too large for the Morris Plan. Well, how do you expect to get money here? I had hoped to get on one of your quiz programs. Oh, I see. And what do you need the money for? Well, we need money to modernize our army so that we can live in peace. How large an army do you have? Well, let me see. There is Gustav, Johann, Meyer. No, 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 Meyer, he is our Navy. Don't you have any source of income in Bosnia? Well, we do a fairly large import-export business. Last year, my country imported from the United States alone four ashtrays, two three-way lamps, or was it three two-way lamps? And four electric blankets. But we had to return the electric blankets. No, why was that? Wrong current. Oh, I see. No, DC. Now, wait a minute, Doug. That was my joke. I'm sorry. That joke was one of our imports. And what do you export, sir? Only one thing. Plebos. Plebos? And even with plebos, we are having trouble. You see, in lower Vasnia, we charge 30 cents a pound for plebos. In Upper Vasnia, charges only 20 cents a pound. But how can Upper Vasnia afford to undersell you? Because they are out of plebos. Yes, and if you were out of them, you would charge 20 cents too. That is correct. Tell me, Ambassador, just exactly what are plebos? Cucumbers. Oh, well, good. For a minute, I thought he was going to tell my tomato joke. Well, that was a very, very interesting problem, Mr. Fairbanks. Now, Margaret, you should thank Mr. Fairbanks. You mean you're actually going to let me say something? Well, certainly, darling. It's your program. Just say thanks. All right. Mr. Fairbanks, I want to thank you for coming on our program. And your problem has touched me deeply. And I want to assure you that we will give it the utmost consideration. And please take with you our hopes for a successful solution to your country's problem. Thank you for coming over. Thanks very much. Thanks a million. What a ham. <laughs> All right, who's the next guest on our open discussion program? How about you, Phil Silver? Well, as long as everybody else is beefing, I got something I like to say, but I don't suppose anybody would be interested. I suppose not, darling. Who's next? Wait, wait, wait a minute. That's my trouble. Everybody takes me literally. Like a few years ago when I decided to go into pictures, I told my agent to get me a contract with Fox. So he got me a contract with Fox. 20th Century Fox? No, I.J. Fox. I should have known when the guy came over with the contract. He was a short, stocky man with gray Persian hair. And a cold nose. Cold nose. Funny. Funny. Well, you may or you may not have seen me in pictures, which is of no consequence, because I always play the same part. My name is always Blinky, and I'm always a friend of the hero. I love the hero in the picture. His problems become my problems. I'm usually in musical pictures, technicolor musical pictures. Everybody's happy in the picture. That is everybody but me. Because always in the beginning of the picture, the heroine, usually played by Betty Grable, has a fight with the hero, usually played by John Payne. And he walks out on her, leaving me alone with Grable, which is not exactly a bad situation, alone with Grable. You see, I come from a neighborhood in Brooklyn I know what to do in a situation like this. But do I get a chance to show Grable I'm able? Do I get a chance to show Betty I'm ready? No. 
I got to go looking for him. And where did the heroes go when they're carrying the torch in these pictures? Always the same place, the Barbary Coast. Once I'd like to see a guy go to Lindy's. I could have a sandwich while I'm looking for him. <laughs> well, what's the use of talking about it? Let me show you a scene from this type picture, usually called Hello Something Hello. Well, when I finally find the hero, he's at the bar, and I walk up to him and I say, John, I've been looking all over for you. You remember me, Blinky? John, I got the stuff in the car. That's my opening line in every picture. I got the stuff in the car. What stuff, I've never been able to find out. But if he wants it, I got it. John, I say, John, come back to that girl, Betty. She loves you. She misses you. Why, she hasn't slept a wink since you left. How could she? You took the mattress, John. What are you hitting, John? One lousy joke, you hit Blinky? Go on back to that girl. Yes, I love her too. But after all, finders keepers, losers weepers. This later becomes the hit song of the picture, which they don't let me sing. No, no, John, no. Don't say goodbye. Just go. It'll be easier this way. I'll take care of the check. Well, I take care of so many of the hero's checks. By the end of the picture, he saved enough money to marry Betty, and they go away on their honeymoon. And now, from the first time in the picture, he doesn't need me. Then there's another type picture. It's called the college musical. For this, they usually use people under contract. It's cheaper that way, easier on the budget. And that's why you see Walter Pigeon as a freshman... Marjorie Maine is a co-ed, and I'm still blinking. Friend of the heroes. Let me show you a scene from Hello, College Days, Hello. Give him the X, give him the X, rickety, 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 rex. Yay, team! I'm too old for this. Hello, boys and girls. Where's my old friend John, who is the star quarterback of the team? What? He's been thrown off the team for giving away the signals to the rival coach. Oh, mercy. Where is he? Locked himself in his room. Well, I'd better go and get him. John! John, open the door, John. It's me, Blinky. John! We only got three minutes for the... I got the stuff in the car. <laughs> Come on, John. Betty knows you're not guilty. She told everybody she saw you in the chemistry class when you were mixing the Bunsen burner with the X24 formula, which came out blue. And then Zelda was there. Zelda came with Rodney, the dean's son, and they saw you, and they came out, and Zelda said, Did you see John? And Betty says, Yes, I saw him, Zelda. And Zelda says, Well, I saw him. You like this plot? <laughs> John, open the door. John, remember the old college spirit. Give him the axe. Give him the axe. Riggity, 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 rex. Yay, team. you got to be a football hero to get along with the beautiful girl. Come on, Johnny, open the door. I got the stuff in the car, John. Open the door. John. Why don't he answer me? Oh, I forgot. In this picture, the hero is Dan Daly. No wonder he'd answer me. Dan, Dan, you've got to be a tiny hero. Do you a beautiful girl? Yankee. And then there's another type picture, an epic. For this picture, they send 500 technicians to darkest Africa. They hire big writers, big actors. Everything's on a high plane. Lots of changes. But I'm still blinky. Let me show you a scene from Hello, King Solomon's Mines, Hello. Lost. Lost in the jungle. The intense heat. Marooned. Maroon or marooned. Come along here. I'm the double. Hear you, native voice. Quickly. Punch up. 
Come here, boy. Have you seen a tall man? I've been looking around for 19 months. My goodness, there he is. My friend John. John, at last I found you. You remember me, Colonel Blinky? Come on, John. They know you didn't do the crime because Zelda told the police. Zelda was there. Zelda is the producer's wife. She likes the name mentioned in every film. Come on, John. Don't be a fool. I came here to rescue you. No, go back, John. Go. Listen, I got this stuff in a safari, John. Go on, John. Go back to Betty, who loves you. No. Don't say goodbye, John. It'll be easier this way. Just go. Go, John. What have I got to look forward to? What's to become of me? I'm always a friend of the hero. Always the hero's friend. The pictures are as usual, designed to please the masses. The girls keep playing hard to get. The boys keep making passes. And I have to stand there watching them while they steam up my glasses. Where will this frustration end? I'm always the hero. Got the stuff in the car. See you in a little bit. Huh? And now Bob Hope would like to put a word in. Go ahead, Bob, darling. This is Bob Hope. Can we steal a second? Say, Bob, did you notice there's a new Chesterfield poster of you around town? Yeah, I saw one in a drugstore the other day. I'm dressed up as Santa Claus. Yeah, and you're holding a carton of Chesterfields with a picture of Bing you-know-who dressed up as Santa Claus. And you're saying, for Christmas gifts, here's the answer. Yep, Crosby for Christmas. Bob, seriously, why did they make Crosby pop a Santa Claus in the Christmas carton instead of you? Well, hi, by tradition, Santa Claus is an old man. Yes. <laughs> Always carrying a sack full. <laughs> Well, in all fairness to Bing, Bob, I must say it's a very attractive gift. And it's packed with 200 of those always milder Chesterfields, which make as fine a gift as anyone could give or anyone could get. And folks, if you want to prove that just for yourself, make that Chesterfield mildness test. Open them, smell them, compare them, and smoke them. Chesterfield, Chesterfield, always wins first place. That milder, mild tobacco never leaves an aftertaste. So open a pack, give them a smell. Then you'll smoke them. See you Tuesday night, folks, for Chesterfield. Well, now that Bob Hope has solved our Christmas problem, who's left? Oh, Mindy Carson, we haven't heard from you. What is your problem, darling? Oh, I have no problem. You what? Yes, I'm quite happy. My husband's getting me a mink coat for Christmas. My RCA Victor records are selling well. And last week I lost two pounds. So, you see, I have no problem. I'm very happy, quite contented. How dare you be happy? <laughs> oh, uh, Miss Bankhead, I have a problem I'd like to enter into this discussion program. Yes, Meredith? Well, uh, I wrote a special arrangement for a boing quartet. Uh-huh. A what? A boing quartet. And uh, I thought that maybe you and Miss Truman and Joan and Mindy would do it for me. Can you boing, Joan? Well, if I bend over once more, I think I will boing. Well, uh, now we need a male soloist. How about you, Fred? Well, I'm the right agenda, Meredith. Splendid. You see, uh, I've always wanted to have a glee club just like Fred Waring. You know, with a boing quartet. 
Could we try it with Down by the Old Mill Stream? All right. Meredith Wilson, the orchestra and chorus, the Boeing Quartet. And our guest vocalist, Mr. Fred Allen. Darlings, I hope you get a big boing out of this. Darling, that was wonderful, wonderful fun for all of us. Didn't you enjoy it, Margaret? Oh, yes. Let's do it again. Oh, excuse me, darling. It's the telephone. Uh, uh, hello? Yes? What? No. No, I'm terribly sorry. Well, it's very kind of you to offer, but uh, we don't need a piano player. <laughs> Tallulah. Tallulah, you mean? Yes. Hoagie Carmichael, my dear. Oh, Hoagie. Hoagie. <laughs> Offer to play the piano for us. Well, Margaret, we're nearing the close of our show. Is there someone special you'd like to say goodnight to? Of course, I'm trying to be delicate about it. I, 
could give you a slight hint. Uh, would you like to say goodnight to uh, um, Washington? Oh, sure. Good night, George. <laughs> well, I asked for it. Well, this is about it, folks, and try to be with us again next week, won't you, darlings? Our guests will be Jimmy Durante, Clifton Webb, Emma Jean Coker, Mendy Carson, Eddie Arnold, and others. Until then, may the good Lord bless and keep you, whether near or far away. May you Mendy. find that long-awaited golden Joan? May your troubles all be small ones and your fortunes ten times ten. Fred? May the good Lord bless and keep you till we meet again, Margaret. May you walk the sunlight shining and a bluebird in every tree. dreams with sweet tomorrows. Never mind what might have been. Phil? May the good Lord bless and keep you till we meet again. Pioneers? May you walk the sunlight shining and the bluebird in every tree. May there be May the good Lord bless and keep you until we meet again. Sunday at this time, brought to you by the Whitehall Pharmacal Company, by your local Ford dealer, by RCA Victor, world leader in radio, and by Chesterfield. The big show is produced and directed by D. Engelbach. This is Ed Hurley. Saying have fun with Phil Harris and Alice Bay next on NBC. All right, that was the big show as originally broadcast on December the 3rd. 1950. Now we're going to listen to an episode of The Green Hornet from 1946, uh, September the 14th to be exact, and the name of this episode was Underwater Adventure. The Green Hornet. He hunts the biggest of all game. Public enemies who try to destroy our America.
faithful valet Cato, Britt Reed, daring young publisher, matches wits with the underworld, risking his life that criminals and racketeers within the law may feel its weight by the sting of the Green Hornet. Ride with Britt Reed in the thrilling story, Underwater Adventure. The Green Hornet strikes again. reflected on the smooth waters of a bay and also in the gleaming black finish of the long, sleek car which sped along the shore road. It was in the small hours of the morning when traffic was negligible and the powerful car had nothing to impede its progress as it moved like a speeding shadow on the broad, ribbon-like highway. Behind the wheel was a sinister and startling figure for the Green Hornet was once again on a mission in his super-powered black beauty. The masked figure spoke to the man beside him. Kato, that salvage scow will be around the next bend of the shoreline. Well, how you know they not leave watchmen to guard diving equipment, Mr. Britt? They probably have left someone to guard it, Kato. But he won't be looking for a visit from the Green Hornet. And so far as they know, everybody believes they're a legitimate salvage company. Well, how will he get out to scow? There's one of those small rubber wraps back in the luggage compartment with a small cylinder of gas to inflate it. Oh, I not know you put it there. We'll paddle out, board the scow, and then hope for the best. Oh, there it is now. We'll swing off the road and drive toward the shore. Then the fun will begin. Lucky we've had moonlight bright enough so we didn't have to use our lights. Yes, sir, that good. Guard not see car moving toward shore. Come on, kiddo. We'll get the raft out of the luggage compartment. And remember, voices and sounds carry over water. So go easy. Yes, sir. I'll be careful. We'll carry it near the water and then open the valve. It's not very heavy. Now there. Now turn on the valve. Yes, sir. Oh, it's up fast. Yes, quite an invention. Oh, 
All right. Let's get it to the water. It's ready. A small paddle stuck in the side there. Oh, wait a second. Better smear some mud on your face in case we run into trouble. All right. Now, I hope we get to scar before anyone see us. Did not put a bullet hit rubber raft, maybe. We'll worry about that when it happens. Okay, let's start paddling. Alongside now. Don't see anyone. Can we climb onto the scow now? Yes. Come on. You see anyone? Not yet. Give me your hand. It looked like everything quiet. We'll take no chances. Come on. Look inside that small cabin. You keep gas gun ready? Yes. We'll probably have to use it. The door's partly open. You woke up, fella. I heard it. If I reach my gun, you... What, you won't reach it? Take this. Yes. <coughs> Help me put him back on the bunk. Looked like he only person on scow. Yes. There. We'll enjoy a good sleep for a few hours. Now, let's get to work. Come on. The diving equipment must be under that tarpaulin. What you plan to do? Destroy equipment? Are you kidding? I'm going to put on the diving suit and go down while you pump the air to me. Well, that's dangerous. So what? Come on. Help me get the cover off. <laughs> yeah, that's all here. But I don't understand, Mr. Britt. Why you want to go down into water in diving suit? You not tell me why we come here. While you help me into this diving suit, Katie, I'll tell you why we came here. A little over a week ago, we had a press release from City Hall saying the city was contracting to have the bottom of the bay in the canvas out this way, inspected for debris resulted from the war. You know, such as wreckage, sunken mines, and so forth. And this afternoon, I was in my office when Mike Axford came in and mentioned the fact that work had begun. And we were driving along the shore road, out along the bay, when we saw one of them boats they do deep-sea diving from. Because it didn't look like much of an outfit to me. The one that's doing the work, that is. What do you mean? The salvage company mentioned by the city in that release is one of the best, with up-to-date equipment. <laughs> The dirty-looking old scow they're using up there in that cove looks like a good blow would put it under. But I guess they know their business. Well, just where are they working, actually? Well, now, let's see. Oh, yeah. Remember that daring hold-up about a year ago when Spike Gorlitz and two others used tear gas bombs to snatch a strong box containing about a quarter of a million in cash? Yes, I remember that. They grabbed it as it was being taken from the truck into the bank. Sure, that's the job I mean. Well, Spike and the others were trailed to a cove up the bay. The car they'd used was there on the shore, and they'd set out in the motorboat. Oh, yes. They were caught after a running battle with a police boat. Yep, except that Spike was said to have been shot as he dived into the bay to make a getaway. The cops looked for his body but couldn't find it, and they never did get the strong box full of dough either. Both the other thugs went to the chair for killing one of the guards in that holdup. Yes, I recall the whole case now. So it's in that cove that the salvage company's working, eh? That's right. <laughs> Funny thing, too. Just yesterday, I ran into the head of the city council, Mr. Burbank, and I asked him when they were going to get started on that work. 
I guess he gave me a bum steer on purpose. What do you mean, bum steer? Well, he glared at me. Then says the contract called for starting the work in a month, and the city was lucky to get them at it even that soon. He said us newspaper guys are always wanting them to rush things and do the impossible. Then, later that day, I saw that the work had been started. That was yesterday. So I figured Burbank gave me a bum steer on purpose. Yes, maybe he did it that. Uh, yes, I'd run along to cops headquarters. I'll be getting in touch with you later, Reed. After Oxford left, I began putting two and two together. I checked with the city hall and found the work was not begun. So I decided this outfit's a phony. And probably here, hunting for that strong box. Oh, so that it. The Green Hornet come here to find out if strong box on bottom of Bay and Coal. Yes. There. Now you can help me with the headgear. Then it's up to you to keep the pump going so I'll have air. I hope their intercommunication system works so I can talk to you from below. Well, it looked like it in good condition. Now I put headpiece on suit, then you'll be ready to submerge. Working with careful haste, Cato and Brett adjusted the heavy headgear. Then as Brett Reed slid over the side and sank into the water, Cato manned the pump. By means of earphones and mouthpiece, similar to those worn by telephone operators, Cato was in speaking contact with Britt. You all right, Mr. Britt? So far, everything's okay. I'm using the underwater light, but haven't reached bottom yet. Mr. Britt? Mr. Britt? What's the matter? Somebody leaving shore of Cove in motorboat. Are you sure? Yes, sir. I hear boat plainly. What we do, there's not much time. We must do something. While still operating the air pump, Cato reached over and pushed a lever which started an electric wrench. Then he watched hopefully as the taunt line gradually began to pull Brick Reed to the top. Meanwhile, in the approaching motorboat, two rough-looking men strained their eyes toward the moonlit deck of the skull. Yeah, you see anyone, Spike? Yeah. Looks like someone near the pump. Cut the motor off a second. See if we can tell if the pump's still working. Okay. <laughs> Bill? Yeah. Still going. <laughs> Good. That means whoever's snooping around there is still below. We get there before he can get topside. Sure. And the guy at the pump won't dare stop pumping unless he wants his pal to die. Start the motor up again. Right. <laughs> we come up to the sky on the offside. Then if the lug at the pump decides to take a shot at us, you won't have a chance. See, if you want me to, Spike, I'll pick him off with a bullet and we get a little closer. That is, close enough for me to spot him. Yeah, why bother? We get him anyway. He can't leave the pump like he said a minute ago. Yeah, we're getting there, Spike, and the pump's still going. Well, slow down before we ram into the scow. Now, I'm heading for where that rope hangs over the side, Spike. And when I cut the motor off, you grab it. Yeah, you better cut it off now. Got the rope. Now, come on, we'll go aboard. Have your rod handy. Okay, I'm ready. You go ahead. Right. Come on, Bill. We'll let tie this line. Yeah. All right, coming. There. Now, listen. The pump's still going. That means whoever went down to Snoop is still underwater in the diver's suit. Yeah. The guy must know we're here, but he can't do nothing. Let's go forward and get things settled. Come on. 
All right, you. You can stop pumping now. No. If I stop, air not get into diver suit. Well, now, ain't that too bad, Spud? If he stops, his pen won't get any air. Oh, wait a minute. Go on. Keep on pumping. I got another idea. Yeah, you must have heard us coming. How come he didn't start the winch going? Try to get your pen out of the water. Eh, never mind that, Bill. Dirty face don't look too bright anyway. Maybe that's why. What you do now? Well, before I answer that question, I want to ask you one. Come on, Spike. We're wasting time. Let's get this over with. Ah, wait a minute, Bill. All right, you. Now tell me, who went down in that diving suit and why'd he go? It's better I not tell you. Well, listen to him. Look, you, you'll tell me, all right. Because if you don't, I just make you stop pumping and leave your friend where he is. If I tell you, then you'll help get him up, perhaps? Sure, we'll help you get him up. Won't we, Bill? Oh, that's right. If you say we will, Spike, then he can count on it. Well, I tell you, man who was down in diving suit, he is Green Hornet. Hey, hey what's that you said? He said the Green Hornet. Well, what do you know? This is luck. Now, look, Spike, we can't help him bring the Green Hornet up. He's too slick. Why not just let him stay below and make this guy stop pumping air to him? No, you not do that. Oh, don't worry. Keep on pumping. But, Spike, Don't can't... worry, Bill. <clears throat> pumping won't do any good in a minute. What? What you do with knife? Yes, yeah, Spike, what are you going to do? Just this. No, you not cut airline. Oh, yeah? Watch. <laughs> Yeah, did it? Now, even the Green Hornet couldn't save himself now. We'll continue our Green Hornet adventure in just a moment. watching the bubbles appear on the surface of the water where the severed air hose had sunk. Then Spike turned to Cato and spoke. Now, you sneaking rat, we settle with you. And your pal, the Green Hornet, won't ever show up again to help you out. Oh, I don't know about that, Spike Gorlick. Hey, what the... Don't blow if you're both covered. Holy mackerel, Spike, it's a hornet. Well, it can't be. That mug said the hornet was in the diving That's suit. a trick. The guy lied to us. No, he didn't lie to you. You asked him who had gone down in the diving suit. He told you the truth when he said the Green Hornet had. Then how did you get here? My friend here heard you putting out from shore. By fast work, I managed to get up on deck and out of the suit. Then we sent the empty suit down again, 
And he continued to pump air to fool you. Which gave me a chance to get the drop on you. Yes. And now diving suit not be of use to you any longer. Well, I'll what do you intend to do now, Hornet? Look, girl, it's... The police think you're dead, but as I see it, you escaped. And knowing the hiding place of the stolen bank money, you came here to find it. So what? The cops did plug me with a bullet when I went over the side in that fight, but it wasn't serious. And I'm a darn good swimmer, see? I swam underwater as far enough away, then I managed to get to shore. But if you think I'm going to let you spoil everything without putting up a fight right Maybe now, Maybe I you're... don't intend to spoil things for you, Spike. What do you mean? I know there's a fortune below. If you'd found it, you wouldn't still be here, right? Go on. Well, let's work together. There's enough for all of us down there. Now, take it easy, Spike. Don't trust this mug. I just stood by and watched you as you thought you were taking my life. Now, I'm in a position to take yours. I'm giving you a chance. If you want to take it. All right, Hornet. We'll play along. Good. What are we going to use for a diving suit, Spike? The only one we had's at the bottom of the bay now. I'll tell you what, Hornet. If you want to share what's down there, it's up to you to get another diving suit. That isn't going to be easy. Yeah, for the Green Hornet it ought to be. You can grab one from the warehouse of the Ace Salvage Company at the foot of 3rd Street in town. They keep them stored in a room at the back facing the water. Okay, I'll make a try for one. Then we'll meet you here tomorrow night on this car. It's a deal. Come on, we'll take you over to show on the motorboat. And be sure you get that diving suit or we'll all be out of luck. Let's get going. Later, Britt and Cato were back in their apartment, talking over the events of the evening. Mr. Britt, you really mean to go through with the deal you make with Spike Gorlitz? Right up to a certain point, Cato. Gorlitz is the only one who can readily locate that strong box. What I want to do is to make sure he does locate it, then act. But they killers. There'll be three of them. You not forget man we put out with gas gun. No, I haven't forgotten. I'll be ready for any trouble. You plan to steal a diving suit? Yes. And that will be where the trail will start for the police to follow. But if we go on scuttle, too, and police come, the danger that they trap Hornet along with Gorlitz and pals. I'll have to take that chance. We'll go out tomorrow night and hope for the best. The following evening, Britt and Cato were ready to carry out their plans. We go directly to the warehouse from here, Mr. Britt? Yes, then after we get the suit, if we do get it, we'll give the police our trail to follow out to the scow. And it must be done so it doesn't look like a double cross. Otherwise, Spike will get suspicious and will refuse to go down in the suit. Come on, let's get started. Stepping through a secret panel in the rear of a closet in the bedroom, Britt Reed and Cato went along a narrow passageway built within the walls of the apartment itself. This passage led to an adjoining building which fronted on a dark side street. Though supposedly abandoned... This building served as the hiding place for the sleek, super-powered Black Beauty, streamlined car of the Green Hornet. Britt Reed pressed a button. The great car roared into life. A section of the wall in front raised automatically, then closed as the gleaming Black Beauty sped into the darkness. Arriving at the waterfront, 
Brett found the back part of the warehouse deserted. Taking Cato with him, he found it fairly simple matter by means of certain small instruments he always carried which would open any door or window to effect an entrance. Taking one of the diving suits, he and Cato made their way back to the Black Beauty, parked in the shadows alongside the warehouse. Here we are, Cato. Open the luggage compartment. Yes, sir. It opened. All right, in with it. We'll drive out along the bay to the cove where Spike is to meet us with a boat. But on the road, just this side of the cove, I noticed a gas station. You can phone the police from there. That'll give us time to get Spike down on the diving suit. Hey, good, nobody. That warehouse guard. Get going, Cato. That guard saw us leaving. It may interfere with our plans, Cato. How you mean? The police will be on the lookout now, and it may not give us time to get to the scow as we planned. Especially if they spot us and follow. Well, that not be good. Spike and friends find out police follow. They leave in hurry. Yes, that's what I don't want. Spike is an escaped killer. I want the police to get him. We hope police not get on trail of Hornet too soon, then. Yes. Well, so far, we've been lucky. Step on it. We'll soon be on the shore road. Meantime, on the outskirts of the city, a patrol car waited at a crossroad. Well, expert, we're on the hunt for that spalpeen the hornet again. <laughs> that warehouse guard said he was headed this way. Say, Sarge, wonder why the hornet would want to steal a diving suit. That's a new one on me. No telling, Mike. That guy's liable to steal anything, to my way of thinking. But you can bet your bottom dollar he had a good reason for doing it, and a reason that spells trouble for the police force. Lucky we were out this way in that other car when you heard that radio warning. Maybe we're in time to head him off. That's what I'm hoping to do. Here comes a car heading for the shore road. And it's sure moving fast, Sarge. Yeah, but if it's just another speedster, he's in luck. Because we ain't going to waste time following him. Hey, look at him come. Yeah, I have a good mind it. Holy crow, that's him. That's the harness. So it is. Get going, Cassidy. Step on it and don't let him out of your sight. Yep. police car waiting at crossroad, Mr. Britt. You're right, Cato. They're following us. Spike hears that siren. He'll skip and we'll never find him. Slide over here and let me take the wheel. Yes, sir. Be Easy careful. Enough. Easy now. Well, what you plan to do? I'll turn inland at the next road and try to lose him. There's a road just up ahead. Will you smoke screen, perhaps? Well, not yet. I want the police to get far enough away from the shore road so they won't spoil things. Then we'll use the smoke screen. Here's the turn. Driving far inland, Britt led the police away from the shore road. Then, using the smokescreen and the Black Beauty, he managed to get a good lead on them. Still at high speed, he doubled around until he had again reached the shore road. Within a short time, he reached the cove where they were to meet Spike Gorlitz. I'll have to move fast. I want to get the diving suit and the Spike's boat before the police show up. They're bound to come this way soon. Come on. Here comes Spike and friend. Well, Hornet... Get what you went after? Of course, sir. Uh, it's in the back of the car. 
There it is. Better than the one you had, too. Help me with this belt. Sure. I'll carry it to the motorboat. Come on, Hornet. Here we are. I laid into the boat belt. Right. There. Okay, Hornet. You and your helper can get in now. Hey, listen, the cops. Hey, they must have followed the Green Hornet. You better scram and Yeah, fast. come on. Wait a minute, Spike. You're not going anyplace. Hey, look, the guy's got a gun. He must be nuts. Hey, what's the idea? The cops are after you, too. I'm taking that chance. All right, Russell, Bill. I expected this. I'll get this, man. I think not. Oh. Hey, knock Bill out. Let's scram, Hornet. I'll make a good deal with you. Take this, Keller. <coughs> yes. Yes, God. We live quick before they find Black Beauty. Come on, hurry. Come on, Cassidy. There's the motorboat. Yeah. And the moon's bright enough to show two guys laying on the ground. Wait up for me. Come on. Hey, Sarge, the hornet. He's leaving. Come on, follow. We got something here we can lay our hands on. Let's have a look. Suffering snakes. Two guys stretched out cold. Let me put my light on them. Great day. Look there. What are you great daying about? That mug is Spike Garlitz. Are you sure? I thought he was dead. Well, he ain't. That's him right there. Hey, Serge. Look here in the motorboat. Well, what do you know? A diving suit. Must be the one the Hornet stole tonight. Wonder what they'd want that for. For diving, no doubt. Huh. Look out there, a salvage scow. I know. Burbank at the city council told me they hadn't started work yet. But I saw that scow there, so Hold I knew on, there was... Ashford. I know the city hasn't started that work yet. There's only one answer. Spike Garlitz dumped that strong box of money in the bay when they were making their getaway. <laughs> He's come back to find it. Say, I'll bet you're right at that side. You're darn tootin' I'm right. <laughs> we'll get divers to work right away until they get that money. <laughs> It'll be a feather in the cap for the police. Getting back the bank money and catching Spike Garlitz. That's right, Sarge. I give you credit. Well, <laughs> maybe we didn't get the green hornet. But by chasing him, we got these killers. <laughs> a chance to get the dough for the bank. Let's get them back to town. I'll radio Harbor Police to raid that scow in case there's others out there. At least the Green Harlot didn't get his hands on that dough. And wait till he hears we caught his pals. <laughs> Don't be stupid, Mike. Didn't he leave them here for us by gassing them? <laughs> uh, he's hard to figure out, that harness. But believe you me, he's nobody's fool. You can bet on that.
Well, the police were really on their toes in the Green Hornet adventure you have just heard. And to be assured of an efficient police force in any city, it's up to the people to vote for the right officials who are to head their city government. When you vote, make sure of the candidate first. These copyrighted dramas originate in the studios of WXYZ Detroit, and all characters, names, places, and incidents used are fictitious. going to do it for our old-time radio grab bag number five. Hope you enjoyed the rather eclectic collection of shows that we kind of uh, find in our files and we haven't played and they don't really fit in any of our other categories, so we throw them in the grab bag. (laughs) We'll be back uh, tomorrow with an old-time radio archive show. And then on Monday, we'll have a comedy. On Tuesday, we'll have a drama. On Wednesday, a mystery. And on Thursday, a western. This is Bob Bro. I'm so glad you stopped by. And I am so glad you met me. <laughs> <laughs>